Acts chapter number one. Acts chapter number one is where we're going to be. We're going to be in verses 14 through 26. I'm just going to read verse 14 right now, and then we're going to pray and jump right into the message this morning. So Acts chapter one, verse number 14. The Bible says, these all continue, the these are all of the disciples, all the followers. What just transpired was Jesus just left the earth. He just ascended up into heaven. It's kind of what I talked about last week. You know, he's levitating up into heaven. The disciples are gathered around and watching and all of a sudden in the clouds, he disappears and the angels come down and, hey, why are you standing around? You have a job to do. Jesus commissioned you. He gave you a purpose. So go and fulfill that purpose. And now all of the disciples, all of the followers that are there and present, there's 120, they are gathered together and they're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come, the promise of the Father. So verse number 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that the, the services will stream properly as they're supposed to at this time. And Lord, I pray that you be with us for the next few minutes as we study your word and we continue this series come alive, the empowering of the church. As we see what happens when a church truly comes alive through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, this has been my prayer for our church since I've been here in the four and a half plus years, that we would truly be a church that has been made alive by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we look at this section on making decisions and even the application of what defines you, God, I pray that this message would reach the hearts of those that are listening and watching right now. And I pray that you'd be with us as, again, we, we gather together during these unprecedented times to keep our people safe. I pray that you'd be with those that have been affected from COVID-19 and other diseases and other illnesses, Lord. And there's a, there's a great spirit of fear within our country. But God, as Christians, help us to remember that you haven't given us the spirit of fear. But you've given us that, that power, that peace, that sound mind. And I pray that you'd help us as Christians to act in your presence and in, in your control and leave everything up to you. Heavenly Father, we love you. And I pray that you'd guide us and direct us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'd asked the question earlier, how do you make decisions? I, I'd read some of the responses. You may or may not have listened to those. I think they're on the first stream if you want to catch some of those. You know, many people basically kind of made the comment that I pray. Uh, I, I try to seek the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in this passage. Because the early church, the disciples, have a very big decision to make. Again, Jesus has already gone. He has left literally just a few minutes prior. He is gone and now they're gathered together. They're supposed to wait there in Jerusalem. But before the Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered them uh, at Pentecost to do amazing things, as we'll see in chapter two, they had a decision to make. One of the 12, Judas Iscariot, had betrayed Jesus. And most of us know that story. He had sold Jesus for a mere 30 pieces of silver. And in doing that, he realized that he was wrong and, and literally went and killed himself. And in the passage, Peter, he stands up in the midst of all of the, the brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's kind of the leader of the church at this time, but he kind of takes the lead and, 
and tells them, hey, we have to fill the vacancy that was left behind from Judas. And what he is saying in verse number 15 on is that we have to fulfill the scriptures, what David had talked about when the Holy Spirit came upon him back in Psalm chapter, I think it was 41 and Psalm 69 and other Psalms as well that, that Peter will reference here. But remember, a couple things that we talked about in, in setting up this series is how the, the early church, they yielded themselves to the power, to the control of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think about this, especially in the unprecedented times that we are facing. A lot of people are not yielding their lives to the power and the control of the Holy Spirit. Because again, we like to be in control. We like to know what is going on, what is happening, and we want to orchestrate our life. But again, we will find the most joy, the most peace, the most satisfaction when we truly yield and surrender our life to Jesus Christ and to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Another thing we talked about is that they were truly gospel-centric, that the message of the gospel captured their hearts and minds. And I'd ask the question, has it truly captured yours? Because if the message of the gospel has truly captured your heart and mind, then like the early church, they couldn't shut up about Jesus. They had to tell anyone and everyone who he was and what he came to do in his work. Yes, it was in some ways finished on the cross, but it was just beginning. As he empowered the church to carry out his mission, his agenda. And remember, it's all about his agenda. It's all about his purpose, his plan. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8 is really the, the central verse for the whole book of Acts. As Jesus said, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses. He had called the church to be witnesses of him, not of themselves. And this verse is not just for those early disciples and early followers. The verse is for us today as well. That he has called us, he has empowered us to be his witnesses, to share the gospel with others. And I made a statement last week that we don't have the option of not being witnesses. We simply have the option of deciding what kind of witness we will be. An inaccurate or an accurate witness. Again, it's about Jesus Christ's agenda. It's about his glory, his purpose. Look, my agenda, as I've said so often, can be disappointing and is disappointing. My agenda is limited. My agenda is small, but God's is big. I like what Kerry Schmidt once said. He said, when we tie our dreams to fragile things, we become fragile people. And that's why we can't tie our agenda to things that are meaningless and trivial and will fall apart. We have to tie our dreams, our agenda, our goals to God's word, to Jesus Christ. And as we continue this morning, we see that the story of this unfolding plan of redemption is just beginning. It's continuing. And the first major event that was faced after the ascension of Jesus is finding the replacement of Judas. You know, I've studied this passage a lot this past week. 
the past several weeks, actually. And there's a lot of different perspectives on this passage. But one thing I learned and realized is that it teaches us a lot about discerning God's will. And today we're going to look at big decisions and what defines you. Big decisions and what defines you. Estimates show us that adults are faced with 35,000 decisions every day. Think about that. 35,000 decisions every day. Now, some of these decisions in the grand scheme of things are pretty pointless. You know, tying your shoe, not tying your shoe. Uh, Getting up, not getting up. You know, brushing your teeth, not brushing your teeth, whatever. Uh, I'm not saying those aren't not important, but they're, they're trivial. They're They're very small decisions. And most of us here today, I believe, we want to understand God's will. But I think, if you're like me, we tend to overcomplicate God's will. Anyone out there, if you're honest, you overcomplicate God's will for your life? I do. I know you do. We try to read too much into things. And, you know, I've shared this with many people over the past several weeks and months. You know, there is a time for waiting and standing still. But there's also a time for working. And as I study scriptures over and over these past many years, one thing that that has just been glaring to me is the fact that having faith in Jesus Christ is meant to be active. And it's one thing to wait. It's one thing to stand still and wait for, for God to work and move in our hearts. But we have to be proactive, church. We have to continue to move forward in faith. And I feel like many times, many people are just standing still and waiting for God to just throw something in their lap. Yes, he can do that. But what we're doing is we're putting God into a box. And God, you have to do what I tell you to do. And until you do that, I'm not going to follow you. And church, that's wrong. And we don't see that from the early church here. Even though they're supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit, there are still things that they had to do. They're trying to fulfill scripture that David had referenced several thousand years prior. And the important thing that we see before this decision is made. And something that Luke is going to continually unlock for us throughout the book is this. This very first truth that we're going to unlock this morning is this. The disciples, the church, the early believers, listen, they were continually united in prayer. They were continually united in prayer. Look at verse 14 again. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They're gathering, they're praying, and the result is unifying. It says that they were with one accord. The idea idea of one accord is of one heart and one mind. You know, we've had little, you know, hashtags throughout all of this that, you know, we're all together in this. And, you know, I can't help but think of, uh, you know, partly because of Disney Plus and Amanda told Nate he needs to start watching like High School Musical because uh, she used to watch that when she was younger. And, you know, that song, we're all in this together. That's all I'm going to sing. But uh, that's, I can't help but think of that. You know, they were all in this together. They were united together. 
Now, they weren't, I don't think they were all gathered together singing songs and holding their basketballs and stuff like that. Uh, I'm totally getting offhand today, but that's okay. I'm preaching to a camera. That's, that's what I tend to do. But they were with one accord. They were together. They were gathered together, praying together. Look, prayer is what binds us together. What do you do when a church or family has experienced a divisive season? Oftentimes, people fight. Oftentimes, people trash one another and, and leaders that you don't like. You think about our country right now. You know, think about the state that we live in, in Texas. And, you know, you know, my heart goes out for our governor, Governor Abbott. I think he's done a great job. But the thing is, any leader, you can't fully win. Because you make one decision and one group of people is going to love you for it. And another group of people is going to hate you for it. You know, the, the most recent decision he's made about more of the mandate of the mask and wearing mask. And some people are like, ah, oh, he's taking away our freedoms and they're taking away our freedoms. And then you got some people, it's like, it's about time. I'm thankful that you're looking out for the health and well-being of people. You can't win. You can't win no matter what way you look at it. But in a church, we have to realize that prayer brings us together. It takes that divisive spirit that is so often prevalent in our hearts and minds and just abolishes it, banishes it. And one thing I see as I study the book of Acts in this early church is that they were truly unified. They weren't all divided because I can't believe that Peter didn't, you know, ask me who, who we should, you know, bring before the council and, 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 and see who, who should be the next apostle. I can't believe they didn't get my vote on what color of chair that we should decide on. Again, some things are, are, are petty. And we bring this divisive spirit into the church. And God is not honored. The Holy Spirit is not honored. And one thing that stands out time and time and time and time and time and time again to me in the book of Acts especially is how the, the, the church... They were continually united. And the reason they were united, because they prayed. They prayed together. You know, I think everyone that's watching today prays in some form or fashion. Most of us, to be quite honest, we probably pray when things really get tough. Things get beyond our control. That's when we really start seeking God. But what about when things are going fine? Are we still praying and seeking God? One thing I've realized, again, over and over since I've been here as the pastor, is how much I need the Holy Spirit's guidance and leadership in my life. And how much I need to be praying for direction, for clarity, for wisdom. You know, a couple years ago, we had changed some things in our church. And again, change is nothing new, it seems like, in our church. But... We had changed some things in our church, and one of the things that we replaced was we replaced one facet of our service with prayer, what we called upper room prayer, taken from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 14, as well as Acts chapter number 2. And at first, you had a lot of people that were kind of back and forth. They liked it, they didn't like it. And honestly, it started out very well for us over the, the first really year or so as we were coming together, banding together, praying for the services, praying for God's spirit to move within our midst, praying for that divisiveness to, to go away from us. 
But over the time, as anything, it just, it grew complacent. Many people stopped coming, and some of it, you know, maybe didn't go the way that maybe I intended it to go, but one, one desire I have is to really get that up and going again. And some people are like, ah, I'm not going to pray, I don't need to do that. But church, you do. We need to gather together in prayer. You know, we're offering this to, to try to help promote unity within our church. Unity is something that must be fought for. Because if not, then it's very easy to get divisive. It's very easy to, to lose sight of what's most important. As I've said many times over, you know, we lose sight on others. You know, when the eye gets focused on self, the eye gets out of focus on others. We have to continually focus on others, and we focus on others when we're praying together, when we're banding together. Jesus had just left. They thought he was going to usher in the kingdom right then and there, and now he's gone. What do we do? Well, I guess that's it. No. What do they do? Hey, let's pray. Let's, let's come together and pray. I think I made mention of this on Wednesday. Man, what, what an awesome thing it would be. What an awesome thing it would be if, if our church just started a bunch of prayer groups. It didn't even have to be in the church. In people's homes. Out in the park, you know, wherever. Mask, no mask, whatever. Wouldn't it be an awesome thing if people just started to gather together and pray? And not be forced to pray, but actually just did it because they wanted to be united. They wanted to see God move and God work and God grow his church. And it is, when we had first started it, we had had it in the auditorium and it, it's a, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but it's a pretty cool thing when you just hear voices praying, praying out loud. It's not a pride thing, but it's, it's an awesome thing because it's, hey, we're asking God to help us. We're asking the Holy Spirit to, to comfort us, to, to lead us. And this early church, listen to me, this early church was not wasting their time on frivolous things and petty quarrels. Mark Driscoll, he says this, most of the time we don't have a unity problem. We have a prayer problem that manifests itself as a unity problem. But people who pray together stop trying to, you need to agree with me. You need to do what I want you to do. No, you need to change your mind. I'm not going to be the one who submits or relents. And when we pray, he said, we're saying, Jesus, what do you want? Get us both to stand in your will. Have us think as you want us to think. Have us act as you want us to act. Our unity is not one of coercing to others, but both of us submitting to you. You're so right. Tony Evans said, prayer is the mechanism that God has given to his people so that we may communicate with him. Prayer is our link between earth and heaven. The Holy Spirit uses it to deliver our request to heaven and to bring heaven's deliverance to earth. Their unity in prayer was critical for experiencing God's divine intervention. They realized that if they want God to truly divine and intervene in their lives and, and really make an impact in the world and really 
carry out the commission that he gave them, then they have to gather together in unity. And if they want to be unified, they have to gather together in prayer. So the first thing we see is that they were continually unified in prayer. The second thing we see in this passage as we continue it this morning is this. Leaders follow scripture. It's so simple, but it's so true. If you want to be the leader in your home, in your family, in your school, in your business, wherever you are, then you follow the scripture. One point I made on Wednesday night is that in our society today, truth seems very relative. It's always changing. You know, one person has an opinion, and their opinion is truth. And someone else's opinion is false, <laughs> and they're going to let you know. And even with all the COVID-19, the coronavirus that's going on, I think many of us would agree, it's hard to know what is true, right? Because we're hearing differing opinions every day, even from medical people. You know, I've heard of medical officials, whether it be nurses or doctors, that, and I'm not, I'm not discounting this, please understand this. I've known people that have been affected of this in a great way. But you've heard of some that are, man, this is so serious. You have to just take every precaution imaginable. Then you got some on the other side of it that I know even personally that are, it is a big deal. It's contagious, but I think they're amping it up just a little bit more than they need to. So it's like, who, who am I supposed to believe? Who is right and who is wrong? You know, even in politics, you got one side that they're right, the other side is wrong, and vice versa. Who is right and who is wrong? Well, if you want to know what the truth is, you have to get back to Jesus Christ and his word. And if you want to be a leader in your home, in your family, in your workplace, then you must follow the scripture. You must do what God's word teaches you to do. That is the truth that we need in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, church family. And we see that Peter, as the leader, the kind of head now of of the early church, he kind of takes the head, he kind of takes the role of the leader. He stands up in verse number 15, look, it says, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples that were gathered together, there's 120 of them. Verse 16, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled. Hey, we have to fulfill the scripture. We have to do what the scripture has already talked about. You know, God had given, I believe, the, the early apostles, even before the, the Holy Spirit came, I believe he kind of breathed upon them, Holy Spirit. I think it's referenced in John chapter 20 or John chapter 22 about that. He gave them that supernatural wisdom to understand God's word and, and the scripture. They didn't have it all canonized like we have it today in, in one single book form. But they were able to understand the scriptures. They didn't have a bunch of commentaries and books to read from other authors to help them understand what it is. God had given them the ability. So through what David had written about in reference to Judas and his betrayal of Jesus, Peter is getting up and saying, hey, we have to fulfill the scriptures. We have to fill the office that Judas had left behind. And it's kind of you know, interesting when you read this. You know, it's kind of pretty graphic as, as Peter is telling the church exactly what happened to Judas. You know, he had, he had betrayed Jesus Christ and uh, killed himself. I think he was hung upside down or maybe not. But anyway, he, he fell upside down, fell on his head, and really all of his like bowels just gushed out, the Bible says. It's in there. Read it. It's pretty graphic, pretty, pretty detailed. I'm sure they're like, oh, I don't like that. But he's letting them know that he's no more with us. He betrayed Jesus. He's not one of us. But 
Verse number 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. So we have to fill it. What he's doing is he is citing Psalm 69, 25 and Psalm 109, verse number eight. Peter is letting the, the, the disciples know, the 120 followers, of the crisis that they're in. He's got to be replaced. And really, this is a difficult transition for the church, for the early church. They're experiencing a time of change as many churches face. I know our church really hasn't experienced much change, right? Sarcasm right there. But Peter leads the church, the 120, through this transition. A couple things, if you want to take notes, we'll have it up on the screen for you here quickly. But there's a couple things about transition. First of all is this. Growth requires transition, which means if you want to grow, then there must be transition. There must be change, whether you like it or not. It's in any business, it's in any society, in any culture, in any church. And some churches don't want to change. And what they're saying is, I don't want to grow. Because I am content with where I am. But growth requires transition. Another thing is this, mistakes require transition. Ever made a mistake? Yes, we all have. And because of the mistakes that we made, it requires a change, a transition. Third, trials require transition. The trials that we face, the troubles that we face cause us to change. And then fourth and quickly, loss. What I'm talking about is death or otherwise requires transition. You lose someone that's close to you. Things aren't the same. They're not going to be the same. You have to learn to live life, do life without that person. Change is a part of life. I love what Paul Chappell says. He says, many Christians in many churches are unwilling to pay the price of transition so they lose the blessing of growth. Let's leave that up for just a second. Many Christians and many churches are unwilling to pay the price of transition so they lose the blessing of growth. Look, I want our church to grow. I want our church to go forward. And those that have stuck with it, those that know me well, they, they understand that the things that we're changing, it's not, well, let's just try this this week, and well, if it doesn't work, let's try this. There is an end goal with some of the things, and honestly, as I've said before, some of my desires have been completely thrown out the window because some of the things that I believe that we needed to do, God said, nope, not yet. Or here's another path that I want you to go on that I never even considered. It's still getting to maybe the end goal, the vision that I believe God gave me for his church here, but it's a completely different direction. It's a completely different path, but that's, that comes when you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. And when you allow transition to grow you. Look, I don't want our church to miss the blessing of growth because we're so afraid of change. And I think many of you are kind of used to the idea, but still, I struggle with change. I do. You struggle with change. Here's the reality. We like change when we are in charge of the change. But when we're not in charge of the change or when it's not our idea, whoa, I don't know about that. 
I don't know what they're doing. Look, leaders follow the scripture. And if a leader is following and directing in change, and it's not contrary to God's word, then you follow them. And that's what Peter is trying to do with this early church. Hey, we have to fulfill the scripture. We have to get back to what the Bible says. David had talked about this. He talked about the transition, and we have to fill the vacated spot from Judas. And again, many people agree or disagree with this passage of, well, I don't know if Matthias that was chosen was really God's choice because I think it was Paul. I'm not going to get into that today, but I believe Peter was acting in accordance to God's word and God's will. He was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. I don't think this was Peter just acting foolishly. There were times in Peter's life where he acted foolishly. foolishly. And he did things incessantly or instinctively and just made a decision. But he's not saying, hey, we just got to do it because I think it's best. No, we have to follow the scriptures. And I believe God is always honored when you follow the scriptures. Let's move on to the third point quickly this morning. And it's this, mission follows failure. Mission follows follows failure. Verse number 21. Let's continue on. The Bible says, wherefore of these men, which have companied with us all the time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So we have to understand that there were more than just 12 followers of Jesus during his earthly ministry. There were hundreds of followers. Now there was 120 specifically that really impacted the world and and did what they did at Pentecost to the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But there were hundreds of followers, and, and there were scores of people that followed Jesus closely with him that were never even mentioned, that their names, we have no clue outside of church history or uh, maybe some, some old uh, books that, that we might be able to study. Their names were never mentioned, but they were still very important. And there were people that followed closely with Jesus. And Peter concluded that they must replace Judas even though he failed God. Even though he failed Jesus Christ, the mission of God must continue. And for the mission of God to continue in their minds, there needed to be that 12th apostle. You see, the Lord was no longer with them to give them personal directions, but they were not without the leading of the Lord. They had the word of God. They had prayer. Verse 14, it wasn't just like, eh, let's just do this. Whatever happens, happens. No, they prayed together. They sought God. They sought his counsel. You know, again, remember Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem, but we can't forget that Jesus previously breathed on them the Holy Ghost in John chapter 20. And he also opened their minds to the scripture. So here they are trying to fill the ranks. And some people on this passage think, well, I think it was Paul. Paul should have been the chosen one. Now, Jesus did specifically choose Paul on the road to Damascus. But even Paul himself claimed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and also Galatians chapter 1 that he he wasn't to be classified with the 12. And the 12 knew it. You see, Paul was not baptized by John the Baptist. He did not travel with the apostles when Jesus was on earth. And though he saw the glorified Christ, Paul was not a witness of the resurrection as were the original apostles. 
You see, the 12 apostles primarily ministered to the 12 tribes of Israel, whereas Paul primarily ministered to the Gentiles. And two men were appointed. Two men were given their names out to the, to the group that they should vote upon. Verse, uh, verse number um, 23. And they appointed two. Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice. So the guy had three names. Couldn't decide which name he wanted. And Matthias. In verse 24, again, and they, what's that next word? Verse 24, and they, I can't hear you guys. Oh, it's because nobody's in here. They prayed. They prayed. They're still seeking God and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. So two men were appointed. We have Matthias and then we have Justice or Barsabas or Joseph, whichever name you want to call him. It's probably no wonder Matthias was selected because Joseph couldn't decide what name he wanted. But they've got to pick a leader. But listen, they are not voting. Now, this is not going to get into, you know, church ad and polity at this time, but they're not voting on their next leader. They're not voting on who they think the leader should be. What are they doing in verse number 24 again? They're praying. They're praying for God's vote. They didn't vote themselves. They let God vote and they did it through casting lots, which seems like a strange thing to do. It seems like they're just taking chance. Casting lots, it's like, you know, you know, playing a crap table or something like that. Like, oh, let's just shake up the dice and wherever it leads. You know, I brought, I brought my lots up here today. It's the game of Farker, if you can see. So I'm sure this is exactly what they did in the early church. They had Farkle, they had dice, Yahtzee, whatever it was. They had it in a thing, and they just threw it out there. Good thing nobody was sitting out there. Whatever dice it landed on was the name. No, that's not, that's not what they did. It's not what they did at all. But again, some of us probably think, why would they do something like this? That was very weird. <laughs> Listen, this was actually a common practice in Israel, for Israel. Numbers 26, Numbers 33, 34, 36. They did this continually when they were trying to find the answer, the direction for a path. As they cast the lots, the, the, the lot would fall in the lap, and, and literally it was God that was directing the lots. It was God that was directing which way they should go. Verse, or, uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 makes reference of this where it says, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. The whole choice, direction, is of the Lord, of his choosing. Now remember, this was all pre-Holy Spirit. After this event, this was never a mention again in making a decision. We don't make decisions by casting lots today. Instead, we make decisions, or we should make decisions, based upon prayer and the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding in our lives. But as they cast the lots, verse number, uh, where's that, 24, 25, that he uh, may take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, verse number 26, and they gave forth their lots and the lot fell upon Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. The lot fell upon Matthias. Now, we don't know much about him. After this, his name is never mentioned again in Scripture. 
There's reference in church history of what he did and where he went to, and there's some discrepancy concerning that. But church history teaches us that Matthias probably first preached in the gospel or preached the gospel in the region of Judea. Then he probably went to Ethiopia, which is the region of Colchis or now modern day Georgia. Not the state of Georgia, but the country of Georgia. And there he was stoned to death. He still did God's work, still did God's bidding, still preached the gospel. And we can go on on this passage and on about Matthias and his work, but that's not where I want to make the application this morning. I want to close out for just a couple more minutes and we'll be done. In this passage, there's really four names that were mentioned. We've got Peter. We've got Judas. We've got Joseph or Barsabas or Justice, whatever name he wants to go by. And then we've got Matthias. But very quickly, I want to focus on two names, two men, Peter and Judas. You know, we talked about decisions earlier. Big decisions and what defines you. And here's the application this morning. Please stay with me. Big decisions and what defines you. We have two men, Peter and Judas. They both had Jesus as their pastor. They both had the same mission. They were part of the same small group, and what a small group that was. They both got to travel with Jesus and learn from Jesus. They both had Jesus pray over them. They also both failed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus right there before Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus had told Peter that he would. Peter failed Jesus. Judas failed Jesus when he betrayed him. But here's the message very quickly. What's the difference between these two men? One's alive, one's not at that time. Well, more than that. Listen, Judas walked away from God and his people, never to return. See, ultimately sin leads to death and without ever repenting or apologizing or changing, Judas killed himself and probably went right to hell. There's a good chance he was probably never saved himself. The Bible says that you know, Satan, the devil, had entered into him. Satan can't enter in into a believer. Peter, though, is now the human leader of Christianity on earth. He's teaching a Bible study to, to Jesus' mom and brothers. So what is, the, what is the difference between Peter and Judas? Get this. Here's the difference. It's not that they failed, but how they responded to their failure. Every single one that is watching right now has failed Jesus Christ at some point. Maybe even this morning. Maybe last night. Every single one of us has failed our Lord and Savior. So it's not so much that you fail, it's how you respond in your failure to your failure. The only difference between Peter and Judas is one brought their sin to Jesus and the other brought it to the grave. 
And this is a heavy word, but it's a hopeful word. Whatever sins you have committed as an unbeliever or even as a believer today, today can be a great day because you can bring those sins to Jesus Christ. You can bring your failures, your shortcomings to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ can change you, can transform you as he did with Peter. Peter could have realized that, you know what? I failed Jesus. I denied Jesus. My life is over. I have counseled with many people. I have talked to many people over the years that have failed Jesus and they can't get beyond their failures. And really, they are no different than Judas. But Peter, in his failure, he brought his sins, his transgressions, his iniquities to Jesus and Jesus Christ forgave him as he has promised Over and over in the New Testament, we see that when we bring our sins, when we bring our transgressions, our iniquities to Jesus, he has promised that he will forgive us. You see, it's time that we, like Peter, come before Jesus and, Jesus, I am sorry. Lord, forgive me. Use me like you did with Peter to tell other people that you're a God who forgives and gives grace. Let my miserable story be an example of how wonderful you are. That's Christianity. Yes, you fail. Yes, you mess up. Yes, you make mistakes. But you can move beyond your mistakes. Jesus wants to forgive you, wants to change you, wants to transform your life. And if you're watching today, and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. It doesn't matter how bad, how wicked you were. There's a lot of people that cannot get beyond this. They cannot get beyond the fact that I have done some horrible things. No one would forgive me. You're right. No one but Jesus. Only he can forgive. I know many people that have been in the military that have done some horrible acts, can't get beyond some of the acts that they've done. They can't forgive themselves, but Jesus Christ can and will. And he wants to use your life. And if you're here today and you never trusted Jesus as your Savior, he wants to save you. You must call upon him. Jesus, I'm tired of my life. I'm tired of sin ruling over me. Forgive me. Change me. Direct me, lead me, guide me. Also for the believer. Yeah, you've messed up. Yeah, you've failed, Jesus. You've made a mess of your life. But we don't have to always focus on our past. So many people get hung up on their past. And by getting hung up on their past, they fail to live in the present and they diminish their future because they're so hung up on what they did or what happened to them. Who gives a rip what happened to you? Take it to Jesus. Let him wash and make you new. Here's the truth, and I close with this. Your failure doesn't define you. Do you hear that? Your failure doesn't define you. If failure defines you, then Peter never could have been instrumental in leading this early church 
preaching at Pentecost where thousands upon thousands were saved and baptized. Listen, your failure doesn't define you. What defines you is the forgiveness that you gain through Jesus. The most significant places of your fulfillment are not found through your personal pursuits, but through the things that providence unfolds for you. So church, listen to me. Don't let failure define you. Let the forgiveness that you have through Jesus Christ define you and take you forward. We saw that mission follows failure. We saw that leaders follow scripture. And we saw that they continually united in prayer. Church, let's be united. Let's continue to pray for one another and with one another and with our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the best days can still be ahead of us if we quit focusing on ourselves and start focusing on him, focusing on what he wants us to do. It's time that, yet again, Eagle Drive come alive through the empowering of the Holy Spirit.